our new bestie has changed how we track our investments. Why have over 400,000 investors chosen ShareSite? It's simple. This online investment dashboard for your investment portfolio supports over 500,000 stocks, ETFs, and funds, plus integrated with more than 200 platforms, ensures your entire investment portfolio is organized and accessible in one place. Move beyond the limited insights from brokerage statements. ShareSite offers a comprehensive view of your financial performance, including analyzed reports, dividend gains, and the impact of currency fluctuations, all through intuitive graphs and visualizations. But here's the best part. For the investee besties out there, ShareSite is offering a special deal. Save four months when you purchase an annual premium plan. It's time to dive deep into performance metrics, streamline tax reporting, and share your portfolio with ease. Join the link in the episode description to sign up to ShareSite now and transform your investment experience. Welcome to Girls That Invest. You're joined today by your host, Sim and Sonia, two millennial investors who are here to help you learn about all things investing and personal finance. Hi, Sim. Hey, Sonia. Hi, Sim. How's it going? <laughs> I said, hey, Sonia. <laughs> you know what? It's not going so well. I was very excited to record this episode and I went and grabbed a hot tea. And then in the split second that I grabbed it, I forgot that it was hot and I just took like a gulp. And now the front of my tongue is like burnt. Do you know what? You're going to feel that for the next, I would say, month. That's what happens when you burn your tongue or like the roof of your mouth. It just lasts forever. It takes you a month? No, I'm I'm being dramatic. Oh, I was like, Sonia, you should see a doctor for that. Like, that's <laughs> Here's a question for you. After knowing me for well over 20 years, how do you not know that I speak in hyperboles and just exaggerate everything? This is true. But then if I go, oh, she's exaggerating everything, every now and again, you come up with like a valid concern. And if I was like, she's exaggerating, you'd be like, Sim, what the heck? <laughs> yeah. But- you'd be like, I had a bad day. And I'm like, get over it. Ha ha. I can't let you know what my next move is going to be. You know, I have to be mysterious. And that is how you make a friendship last for 20 years. (laughs) Before we get into the show, a huge thank you to HSBC for powering this week's episode. 80% of money media tell women to spend less and make them feel bad about money, yet more than 67% of women want to learn about their finances and grow their wealth. We are so proud to be partnering with HSBC as they pave the way for financial well-being and diversity, which aligns with our mission of empowering women. An integral part of HSBC's mission is to empower and support each customer with their unique wealth needs, whenever and wherever they are. So whether you're at the very beginning of your wealth creation phase and taking your first steps in investing, or you're starting to think about passing your wealth and values to the next generation, HSBC can connect you to global opportunities at every stage of your wealth journey. Jump onto the link in the description to find out more. All right, back to the show. What are we talking about today? Sonia, we are talking about banks and the idea of what may happen when banks close, if they close. And you might be thinking, Sim and Sonia, this is a very morbid 
concept or like this is a little bit negative why have you decided to talk about this well the thing is back in 2008 when we were in a very deep financial crisis banks were shutting down and a lot of people back then if you were old enough to have money or invest money or even just have a bank account were worried is my bank going to collapse next? And now that this is all starting to happen, we're starting to see the same questions come up. Is my bank going to shut down? And if it does, what on earth do I do? Now, for those that are kind of confused by what we mean, think about it this way. Banks are the store units, the storage units for the largest portion of each country's wealth. Imagine what holds our country's wealth collapsing that has a lot of knock-on effects and now that we have a lot of these smaller or neo banks popping up a lot of online banks people are starting to wonder well what if my you know savings account that's in a high yield savings with a neo bank collapses we've been really lucky that in 2020 only four banks failed in 2021 there were no bank failures and as of now there have been zero additional bank failures but what is a bank failure what happens and should you be worried with this looming recession? Firstly, I feel like you'd be a great narrator in like those, they're not death movies, <laughs> but those final destination <laughs> like movies, like what a bloody intro was that? If that doesn't make anyone panic, I will be very disappointed. A good narrator, almost like a, a podcaster? Yeah. I could see myself doing that. Can I be honest with you? When I was younger, like, I never thought that my bank could collapse. Like, it just wasn't in my realm of reality of accepting that, damn, like, a bank could really just not be there the next day, you know? You're like the bank of New Zealand? Of course not. <laughs> like, ANZ? No, ANZ's going to be fine. Like, they've got me. I'm not too sure what all my terms and conditions are in terms of signing up with them, but we'll be fine. You know? Of course. Okay, Sonia, hit us. What is a bank failure and how on earth can banks like actually fail? So a bank failure is when a bank is unable to meet its obligations to its depositors or other creditors because it's become too insolvent or too illiquid to meet its liabilities. Now, what that means is the bank's also have people they need to pay. And in an attempt, if they can't pay their depositors, a bank might panic and they might borrow money from other banks in order to like pay back their depositors. And I think when I was like researching this and like figuring out, you know, the bank has like other people to pay, I feel like it's a never ending cycle. Like who's the end person that gets the money, you know, like if we're borrowing money and then the bank is borrowing money and then like the government's borrowing money from like other countries in terms of like the economics episode we did like a few weeks ago, like who is at the end or is it just a circle? Do you know what I mean? Are you kind of just being like, there's got to be someone that benefits from it, right? Like, There's got to be someone. <laughs> like Elon Musk. It's not like know? the queen anymore. So who is it? Like who benefits from all of this? That's the real, we should do a Illuminati episode. Absolutely. I mean, this is just something else. I would just like a little bit of peace because now I feel like you kind of have to think about, oh my gosh, will my bank collapse? Like no one really thinks about that in a recession, you know? They think about themselves. 
Now, to add a little bit more technicality into bank failures, the most common kind of bank failure is when the bank's assets fall below the market value of their liabilities, which are basically their obligations to creditors and depositors. So this may happen in examples where a bank goes, okay, instead of keeping all our assets in cash, let's put some of our assets into investments. So on you know, one side, they've got the assets. On the other side, they've got their liabilities. The assets go up when times are doing well. It means, you know, the investments, let's say they invest in a couple of companies, a couple of bits of real estate, maybe some more intrinsic, interesting kinds of investments. And then those investments may fall. And when those investments fall, now their assets are less than their liabilities, and that can cause bank failure. When does that happen? Well, during times like this, when investments are falling in general. And that is why people are so stressed out right now, because it's kind of the perfect time to see bank failure. On a scale of one to 10, how worried should we be right now? Like, do we worry about our finances first or should we worry about the bank paying, you know, their depositors and their debtors back? Well, the thing is, our money is tied up in the bank. Do you know what I mean? So if they don't do well, like it affects (laughs) me too. And so how can I worry about my finances if it is like my mortgage is with the bank, my savings accounts with the bank. And for some people, some of their investments get tied up with like bank investment brokers themselves. Now, I want to give an example of a time where a bank did fail and we did see bank failure and it was very stressful and it was the Lehman Brothers in 2008, which was historically known as when that bank failed, the GFC kind of set off. It kind of kick-started. It was the catalyst to what was known as a very, very stressful time. And what happened with the Lehman Brothers Bank is that they were doing something which banks can't do anymore, so we probably won't see this again. But they were starting to give out mortgages so like willy-nilly, so just like you get a mortgage, you get a mortgage, like bad mortgages they were giving, mortgages with high interest rates they were giving. They were sometimes giving mortgages with like cashback, like I will literally pay you if you take out a mortgage. And they ended up over leveraging. And when people couldn't start paying their mortgage, they started seeing a lot of defaults. A lot of people being like, hey, bank, I know I owe you like $300,000, but I can't pay this mortgage. So I'm going bankrupt. Bye. See you. And the banks had lent out all this money that they now couldn't get back. And so the Lehman Brothers Bank literally shut down. Other banks like Merrill Lynch, AIG, Freddie Mac, HBOS, the Royal Bank of Scotland, like all these banks, they were so close to going bankrupt as well and having bank failure as well, but they were all rescued and saved in the very, I guess, last minute. But the Lehman Brothers example is what leaves a lot of people stressed and a lot of people go, oh my goodness, like I remember the day where all the bankers were like leaving their offices with their cardboard boxes in their hands, like that plant that you keep on your desk and that photo frame of your child, like it was very emotional and such a sight to see that I think it just had almost like a PTSD effect now when we start to see banks tremble a little bit. Those are the images that you see in like history textbooks when you look back at that time. Like it's really, really sad. I think it's interesting like navigating all of this now that we're older because we were just so oblivious. We were like, what, 10? And we would hear like grownups talk about this, that and the other. And like in our world just none of these problems existed sometimes I wish like I was a kid again and I'm like I just feel like I had more peace 
in that time. And now we're just like psychoanalyzing everything. The time before knowing what a bank failure was, was a good time in our life. Yeah. Take me back, you know. Now, if you're thinking, okay, Sim, this is starting to make a little bit of sense. Like Sonia's explained what bank failure is. There have been examples of bank failures in the past, but what happens if my bank fails and what should I be looking out for to avoid bank failure? Well, in the US and in most countries around the world, there is often a insurance assumed with your bank. Now in the US, it is the FDIC insurance or the FDIC insured that you look at, but in other countries, there are different kinds of insurances as well. Some banks will be FDIC insured and some won't be. And that's the difference between knowing that if a bank goes bust, will I get my money back or not? You always want to go for a bank that is insured and they often across most countries insure up to $250,000 worth of money that you have in the bank. Now for the everyday person, that's, you know, not most of us have that much money tied up in a bank account, so that's fine. But if you're listening in and you're one of the few that go, well, I've actually got like $250,000 in one account and then I've got another account that I've just got an inheritance from that's another $250,000. That's stressful because if your bank collapsed, you would get one of your $250,000 back, but the other would be obliterated and you just would have nothing to stand on to say, hey, where's my money? Because you were never insured for more than that. For business owners, every transaction is more than just a swipe of the card. It's the culmination of your hard work, dedication, and commitment to your customers. That's why I'm excited to share with you a game-changing solution that's simplifying the way businesses like yours accept payments. Introducing Tap to Pay on iPhone, powered by Stripe. Contactless payments has never been easier. You can seamlessly accept contactless payments directly from your iPhone and the best part, there's no additional hardware required. Think about it, from local pop-ups to global retailers, tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe cater to businesses of all sizes, empowering them to accept payments right from their iPhones. It's a game changer for businesses looking to scale quickly and stay flexible with quick setup that takes minutes, not days. So how can tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe benefit your business? It's simple, increased revenue, expanded reach and enhanced customer experience. It's a win, win, win. To learn more about how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can transform your business, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone today. That is very risky, but what you can do to go around it is that you can make sure that you never have more than that amount in a single bank and kind of spread your risk across if you need to. Now, if you find out on the news tomorrow that your bank is failing or your bank is going bankrupt, which is a funny thing to say, but not a funny feeling to have or a funny thing to read if it's your bank, (laughs) you do not need to move your money. I think a lot of people get scared. Hey, should I move my cash? Like I've got $10,000 SIM. Should I put it in a different bank? You don't have to do that. Once a bank failure is announced, what will happen is that insurance company or the insurers that have owned that bank, they will come in and transfer your funds into theirs. So they have already come and taken over. So your money is no longer held by that weak or failing bank. It is held by the insurance that is taking care of it. So you'll be okay. 
If you mentally feel like you're better off moving that money, by all means, you can. But it's not the end of the world if your bank is failing, but your insurance is coming in. Is that not the weirdest thing ever? When you explain it, it makes sense to me and it also calms me down. And also just going back to our insurance episode, these banks have insurance and they ensure that you're insured and like people still ask, should I have insurance? It's really wild to me. Sonia's like, if a bank can pay for insurance, why can't you? (laughs) More or less, yeah. And that's understandable. I mean, it goes to show that they don't even have trust in the fact that like banks manage millions, if not billions of dollars, and yet they will still go, hey, something could go wrong. I should get insurance just in case. What would you do? Honestly, I would not take my own advice and I would move that money because at the end of the day, (laughs) you can tell me what you want. If it says A and Z is collapsing, that money gets moved. (laughs) I couldn't do it. I absolutely understand that, you know, my money will be safe. I don't have more than $250,000 in my normal bank account. So I will, you know, my total amount will be insured, but that is so stressful. And that's the idea of just, you know, our psychology, the way we think about money, we know the facts but separating your emotions from the facts is so difficult like are you going to tell me that I'm not better off taking my 10 grand and you know keeping it in a safety deposit as opposed to having it with a bank account like suddenly my money starts to feel like crypto as opposed to like cash in the bank Mm. would you yeah bold of me to assume that I would like get to that stage of having like more than 250 in a bank rather than like my portfolio or like in the stock market I'll be very transparent like it does make me feel uneasy like knowing that that could happen even though the logical part of me knows that there's so many things that a bank needs to go through you know I am insured and there's all like safety nets here and there but it is kind of unnerving that your bank can go bankrupt. Oh, absolutely. I mean, during the GFC, there was a bank called Washington Mutual. And if you haven't heard of them, it's because they crashed, so they're clearly not around. (laughs) And what they did is they were the ones that had the biggest banking failure during the GFC. They had $307 billion in assets, and they still had to close their doors. And just imagine that, $307 billion in assets. And if you had more than $250,000 in cash with them, it was like, sorry, we do have billions, but we need to do other things and pay the people that we owe, and that's going to come before we pay you. You can understand why cryptocurrency was invented, because it was invented during slash after the GFC when people were like, Mm. oh my goodness, banks can collapse, I can lose my money. What if we had a currency that was completely separate from banks and governments and didn't have bank failure? I think it also just goes to show that you need to diversify your portfolio, mate. Like, There are people out there that are super conservative with their money and to each their own. I'm not saying that this is right or if this is wrong, but there are people out there that are conservative with their money that just keep like cash in the bank or cash under their bed. And there are like consequences in terms of doing that. But I feel like if you are risk adverse, truly, you would diversify like where you keep your assets. Oh, 100%. So now you might be thinking, okay, like this could be a real possibility, but how do I know if my bank is going to be 
the Lehman Brothers of, you know, the next few years, if or when something was to happen, how do I avoid bank failures, Sim and Sonia? And the first thing to do is look at bank ratings, credit ratings in particular. So a credit rating is like a score that a bank gets, a little bit like a report card, which tells you how that bank is looking in terms of their wealth funds, their pension funds, and any other types of investments that they make to gauge the worthiness that the bank has for you. Basically, in simple terms, it's saying, is this bank going to go bust or can you keep it? And there's different ratings and it's very easy to understand because they go in the exact same way that a report card does. So a triple A is better than a double A. A capital A is better than a small A. And so if a bank has a triple capital A rating, that is awesome and you're probably not going to have too much trouble with them. But if you search up your bank and see that the credit rating is like a B plus or a C, then you might be slightly more hesitant compared to the triple A banks. Triple A is awesome. Now, where do you find this? Well, if you go to tradingeconomics.com, you can then search up the banks that you're after and see what the credit rating is and you can even see an overall country's credit rating so right now the United States is not doing so poorly they are at AAA and so the outlook is stable it's companies like Finch and the S&P and Moody's that end up doing these ratings so they are unbiased and they're not like the government saying we think the banks are going to be okay because they also have vested interest. It's agencies that can almost just act like a consumer watchdog with these kind of things and go hey look you're probably going to be okay versus you know what you're probably in a little bit of trouble maybe you should start looking at you know diversifying where things are going. The other thing to look at is then the Texas ratio which you don't have to do just if you're in Texas this can be something used from anywhere and get a calculator for this because you don't need to be doing this yourself but you're dividing the value of all non-performing assets by equity capital plus the loan loss reserves and what you want to know when you put this into an online calculator because I'm not you know doing this on my graphics calculator if the ratio of this exceeds 100 then there is a greater chance that that bank will fail so plug it in see where your bank stands and make sure it does not go past 100 if your bank credit rating is good and your texas ratio is less than 100 you're probably not going to run into a bank failure anytime soon. I mean, that's comforting. I mean, I think so. I find comfort in knowledge. Like if someone says your bank's going to fail and then they say nothing else, I'm like, what does that mean? How much will it fail? Like, does my bank fail? Does the whole country's bank fail? Like it's so overwhelming. But you give me knowledge and you tell me, well, look, these are the kind of banks that fail. This is what you look out for. This is how much you know, you're insured for and having all these like extra parameters around that sentence just, I feel like knowledge puts me at ease. Yeah. I think that's a good way to put it. Can you please provide me more comfort? Like just keep saying things like that. Just like every time there's a recession, I'm like, hey guys. Well, honestly, I think the one thing I want to give a reminder of, which we did say earlier on, but so far, We have not seen a lot of bank failures. Only in 2020, four banks did close. 2021, no bank failures. Sort of mid to end, we're near the end of 2022, no bank failures as well. We are at a point where 
We had that issue with Credit Suisse where they were so close, but they didn't end up failing. And we also have learned from our mistakes. So in 2008, when the Lehman Brothers fell, when the other banks fell, banks like people often learn from their mistakes and go, damn, we messed up. We gave too many mortgages. We'll make sure that never happens again. And laws and regulations and policies were put in place to make sure that there was more responsible lending. And so you can almost think of it as, okay, we've had a bad time, but it will never happen like that again. And we keep learning and we're so much more aware that a big bank like the Lehman Brothers can close. So banks are in such a more better position than they were, you know, since that time. And a lot of years have gone by. That's a lot of time to improve policies, procedures, and have things in place so that we hopefully won't see any or very few bank failures. I hope that made you feel a little bit better. It did. I'm going to sleep easy tonight now. And that is what we are all about. I have a question for you. Do you feel like any banks, and you know, we might be wrong, we might be right. It really is like anyone's guess. Do you think in 2023 we'll have even a single bank failure? I'm going to be wildly optimistic right now and just go for three years in a row no bank failures. But what do you think? I feel the exact same way. And I want to say that at the end of 2023, if we find that there are no bank failures, you heard it here first, Girls and Invest. Yeah, we really manifested it. My fear really just um, <laughs> played into it. And that's what we will continue to do for this economy if that's what it takes. <laughs> well, anyway, I feel like that's probably a good place to wrap it up. So We've covered what a bank failure is, we've covered an example of bank failures, the consequences of what happens, and what you can do to avoid them because while we may not be able to predict the future, we can definitely safeguard our investments. And at the end of the day, if you just have more knowledge about what's available and what you can do, you're going to be able to you know, take a couple of steps to avoid yourself being burnt. Now, if you've enjoyed this episode, please let us know, share it on your story, tag us. We love getting and seeing so many awesome Instagram stories of everyone sharing it with their friends, letting them know their favorite episodes. It means the absolute world to us. And until next time, Sonia. Till next time, Sim. Bye. Bye. Before we go, thank you again to HSBC for not only powering this episode, but for the rest of the season. Don't forget to check out the link in the description to find out more. And as always, to finish off with our disclaimer, Girls That Invest does not provide personalized investing advice for your individual needs. We are not financial advisors. The advice from Girls That Invest exists for educational purposes only and should not be relied upon to make an investment or financial decision. Advice from Girls That Invest is general in nature and does not consider individual circumstances. Always do your research and please use your due diligence.